All right, well, good morning, guys. Good morning, New Life Church. You guys alive? I don't see anybody passed out out there, which is a good sign. I know it's hot. We're doing a new series called Hell. And what it, what it kind of feels like. We apologize that that's what we decided to do today is teach you guys about that. But uh, actually, <laughs> if you learn it now, you won't have to feel it later, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, we should go home now. Well, uh, we're waiting on the, the ACs to get service. They're, uh, they're lagging behind today, apparently. But uh, uh, they are on. It's just they're not pushing the cold AC the way it should be. I, nothing we can do about it at this moment. We're trying to do all that we can to help out with that big air fan over there. And cold water, if you need, I don't know if we have more. Okay, if, we ha if you need more. Uh, if I see anybody start doing this, then that, that means preacher, shut up. Let's get out of here uh, and get on with this day. <laughs> it is cooler here than it is outside, I know that. Well, we're not doing this series, like I said, on that, but we are in a series. Uh, we've been studying uh, as a church, 2 Timothy, uh, Paul's last letter that he ever wrote, the Apostle Paul's last letter. So let's open up to that. 2 Timothy, we're going to be in chapter 3. It's only four chapters. Uh, we plan to wrap that up next week, next Sunday. But um, we've been, been going through this particular book. As I said, Paul's last, probably, they say it's probably his last and final letter he ever wrote. He wrote it from a very uncomfortable place. Uh, he wrote it from prison. Uh, prison, in those, day, in those days and times, were not like prison is today where you, you, you get three square, square meal TV, uh, a fitness program, and, and, and money waiting for you when you get out. Uh, it, it was a dungeon. Uh, it was dirty, dark, very depressive. Anybody ever been in a, in a dark, depressive place before? Not necessarily physically, but spiritually. You felt what that's like. You know what that's like. Well, that's what Paul was experiencing. And... He wrote this letter to be an encouragement. And if there's ever a place to write something encouraging from, that must be a hard place to do so. Most of the time, we, are, we tend to write and say encouraging things when things are good for us, right? When things seem to be all on the up and up, when, when we don't really have a lot of pushback or, or pain or problems. And it's, it's a little easier to tell somebody, you're going to be all right. If you just hang in there or whatever, when it was, you know, everything's going to be good if you, whatever. So when we are in the good places, it's easier. But Paul was in a bad place. He wrote this from a low spot. And he wrote this right before he was going to be executed, put to death. He wasn't quite sure exactly of the day or the hour, but he knew it was getting close. He had served God faithfully for years, started a lot of churches, pioneered a lot of works, across and has brought up a lot of men and women to serve the Lord and this was his final words and chapter 3 is that middle bridge it's like the the pin that holds this this letter together I feel like and and so we're gonna we're gonna go through chapter 3 today 
and we're going to learn some, a, a very valuable and important um, lesson as well as a reminder, something that you and I can't take for granted, and we're going to find out what that is. Let's look at chapter 3, verse 1. You can follow on the screens with us as well. Paul wrote, you should know this, Timothy. In other words, Timothy, this is, you just got to get this. He said, you, you should know this, okay? You should just know this. This is what, the way it's going to be. He said that in the last days, there will be very difficult times. Now, he's already halfway through the letter. And then, as I, as I said, this, I feel like, is the kind of the glue, the pen that really holds and bridges everything together. He's been spending the first two chapters, what we call chapters, spent the first half of this letter really kind of encouraging him, reminding Timothy of a few things, and to be strong, and to be able to endure some hardships, and, and, he's, and he always likens... When he says these things to Timothy, he always brings it back to himself. And he said, I'm not telling you anything that I haven't already done or been, uh, been through. So I'm letting you know that you can do this. And then we get to this right here. And he says, Timothy, you, you should know this right here. He said, in the last days, there, there will be some difficult times. Let's pray. God... If there's ever a day and time to read this scripture and to let it bring forth revelation to us, it's now. That we are in last days and we see the difficult times that exist. Many of us have gone through and will go through and maybe right now some are going through some difficult times. Maybe it's relationally the husband and wife maybe it's relationally on the job maybe it's relationally as a family unit maybe it's financial maybe it's physical maybe it's just an all on out spiritual attack against us wherever we might find ourselves right now, I pray that you would help us to understand today what it is you're trying to say. And I pray that you would pour out an abundance of grace upon every person here, upon every family represented, that as we sang early in the, in the worship time, that your mercies are new and your love never fails. That your mercies would be new today, right now, even in this hot gym, your mercies would be new. Help us to grow closer to you and help us to grow stronger in you and help us to have a greater commitment, devotion to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody say amen to that. If your mouth is completely parched and dry, get a water, please. Get a water. In these last days, so there will be difficult times. And what he's about to do, these next nine, uh, these nine verses, he's about to explain and give a description about, about this 
these difficult times. And that's a, the, the, the uh, series title for what we've been doing here in 2 Timothy. It's called Remain Faithful in an Unfaithful World. And so he's about to describe what an unfaithful world looks like, an unfaithful world. And so, but he says, starts out, there's going to be difficult. It's going to be perilous. Some translations use the word perilous. It's going to be perilous times, dark times, difficult times. He says that goes on to imply stressful times, hard to deal with, hard to bear times. Anybody ever been in a place of life that has just been hard to deal with? Nobody here. Then I need to go talk to some folks who got some real problems so I can help some people out. All right, anybody ever been in a place of life that's been hard to deal with? Maybe you're like, I've been in a church that's hard to deal with right now. It's hot. Get me out of this place. And then he goes on, he says, hard to deal with, difficult. Why? Verse 2, let's look at it. He says, for people. People. You know, if it wasn't for people, this world would be a perfect place. And if everybody was just like, right here, this world would be great, right? Problem is everybody thinks that. Not everybody, but a lot of people. But he says, for people, and he goes on to describe, people will love only themselves and their money. He says, they will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. He's describing difficult times because of, well, because of people. Scoffing at God. The word there for scoffing is, in the Greek, is blasphemos, which where we get the word blaspheme, which means to speak things that are untrue. So he said in these last days, people are going to be like this, and one of the things they're going to be is they're going to be blaspheming God. They're going to be saying things about God that just aren't true. Well, we see that all the time, right? In our social media, on, on TV, in different ways. And he goes on, he says, and they will consider nothing sacred. Think about this. He's describing, he's given a description. If this was not prophetic, I don't know what is. He says, they will be unloving and unforgiving. Anybody ever encountered anybody like that? Don't, don't raise your hand if you're sitting next to them. He says, they will slander others and have no self-control. That word slander in the Greek is diabolos, where in the Spanish word is di diablo, where we get the name devil, which is devil. So he's saying, man, it, people who slander others are like the devil. It means to accuse is what that means. When, you, when somebody slanders, it means they're accusing. In other words, they're saying some things that just aren't true. Just like the enemy, the devil, and the, and the Bible describes him as the accuser of who? Of the brethren. The accuser of the brethren. Accusers. He says they will be cruel and they will hate what is good. That doesn't make any sense. To hate what is good, right? I mean, think about that. Anybody like fried chicken? Yeah, it's good. Those of you that like it, it's good, right? And if you like it, you know it's good, you're not going to hate it, right? And I mean, think about it. Whatever is good, it's saying in these last days, it's difficult because some people hate 
what is good. And here's, it goes on, verse 4, let's look at it. It says, they will betray their friends. Anybody ever been betrayed? It says, they will be reckless. They will be puffed up with pride, and they will love pleasure. Hmm. Rather than loving God. And look at this, verse 5, he says, they will act religious, but they will reject the power of God the power that could make them godly, religious. It says these people will act religious. He's talking about last days, it's difficult times, it's stressful, it's hard to bear and hard to deal with because people, and these people, they, they will act religious. But they will reject the power that can make them godly. Religious, So he's, he's named off all these different people, people who scoff God, people who love money more than anybody else, more they love themselves, they are slanderers of other people, accusing other people, always antagonizing. So then he comes to the religious, he's, he puts them in the mix, puts religious people in the mix, people who, who act like they got it right, people who on the outside give the impression that they are righteous, but privately and on the inside, they lack the character that sustains them. In other words, religion or religious people are not the same as righteous people. And you need to, hopefully we understand that. If not, we need to understand that there's a difference between being a religious person and being a righteous person. See, a religious person follows all the laws, dots the I's and crosses the T, but behind closed curtains, that's not who they really are. A righteous person is someone who has encountered the real person of Jesus Christ and who has allowed his love and power to change them and transform them, and therefore puts them in right standing with God. That's what righteousness means. To be righteous, it means to be in right standing with God. Because they understand, that person understands that their right standing position with God is not based on their own works or labor or merit. It's based on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross who's been resurrected from the dead and who has accepted him as Lord and Savior in their life. And they realize that the life they now live in faith is not lived by their self, is not lived out of their flesh and their carnality to try to make it right. They live it by faith in the Son of God who makes them right. Okay, so a righteous person and a religious person are not the same. And Paul's telling Timothy, and he's letting us know, hey, don't, don't get caught up in being fooled by that. Because he says there, stay away from people like that. Dangerous question, but anybody ever been around a religious person? They reek with arrogance. They reek with arrogance and they ooze with pride. 
I've been around some religious people. Religious people are not real people, meaning this. They don't own their mistakes. They don't fess up to their shortcomings. They walk around and act like they got everything under control. Meanwhile, looking down their nose and pointing fingers at everybody else who's got problems. And they tell them, well, if you will just do this and act like this and become like this, then you will be a real saved, real person in the Lord. And religious people and righteous people are not the same kind of people. And Paul's getting, he's laying, he's saying all this and he tells Timothy, don't have anything to do with these people. Why? He goes into verse 6. Let's look at this, these verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. He says, look, he says, they are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Such women are forever following new teachings, but they are never able to understand the truth. He said, these teachers, he goes on to describe, he said, these teachers oppose the truth just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. They have a depraved mind, a counterfeit faith. He says, but they won't get away with this for long. Someday everyone will recognize what fools they are just as with Janus and Jambres. Look at the way Paul talks about religious people. These fools. That'd be the only correct way you could, we could get away with calling somebody a fool. You know, but Paul, he kind of had a way to do that. But he knew what he was talking about, right? He knew what he was talking about. And that's also another difference between a righteous person and a religious person, to actually know what they're talking about. But he, he goes on, he gives this description. He says, these two men, Janus and Jambres. Now, these guys' names, they're not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. But Paul, familiar with the history and the context of, of Scripture and, and the history of, 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 of things, he brings these two people up. So three things stand out about them. First of all, he, he lists all these different types of people. It's difficult days. Stressful, hard to deal with, hard to bear because of people. And all these descriptions of an unfaithful people, unfaithful world. And he, he says they scoff, they slander, they're religious, and they're deceptive. And he gives these, because that's what they were doing, they were being deceptive. And he says the deceptive, they have, he describes them, he says, one, they oppose the truth. They oppose the truth. In other words, they, their aim is to lead people astray from what is right. And then another thing, he says they have a depraved mind, meaning they're corrupt and they're morally bad, okay? And then he says they have a counterfeit faith, a counterfeit faith, which means to be an imitation and it's not genuine. And he, and he mentions these two, he gives this example of Janus and Jambres, how they opposed Moses. See, you remember back in, when Moses was standing, and Aaron was standing before Pharaoh, back in Exodus, he was standing before Pharaoh, and Moses was saying, let my people go, let my people go. And he threw out that whole scenario, and, 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 and Moses had this, they had this staff in his hand, and he threw it down, and that staff became a snake. Remember that story, a lot of you? And, and, then, it, and then, and it goes on to describe, well, Pharaoh had magicians 
who did the same thing. Two of those magicians were these two guys, Janus and Jambres. And they too took their staff and threw it down, and it became a snake. And Moses picked his snake back up, and it became a staff. And those two guys picked their staff, a snake up, and it became a staff again. In other words, they were saying, look, anything you can do, I can do better. No, you can't. Yes, you can. No, you can't. Yes, you can. Anything you can do, we can do better. In other words, what they were trying to do was imitate the power of God. Imitate Moses and Aaron's faith. And they had a counterfeit faith. But what does Paul say happened? He said, they won't get away with this for long. Verse 9 says, they won't get away with this. Someday, Everyone will recognize what fools they are, just as with Janus and Jambres. So what is he saying? People today, in these last days, in these difficult times, in these dark times of, of, the, of this world, these uncertain times of this world, hard to deal with, hard to bear times. So what he said, look, people are going to act this way. People are going to be like this. But you need to understand they won't get away with it for long. They won't get away with it for long. They have a counterfeit faith, meaning if you have a counterfeit faith and you go through a real trial and you go through a real test, you're not going to make it. You're not going to be able to deal with it. You won't be able to do what Paul's been telling Timothy to do, endure. Endure. And so, and he said, just like these two guys, and he pulls these guys' story right out of the history books and he, and he educates us on it today. And he said, look, they, they thought they were getting away with it, but as the story goes on with Janus and Jambres, those magicians of Pharaoh, we know what the rest of the story is. Pharaoh let the people go. They go, get into the, cross the river, uh, the, river uh, the Red Sea, and what happens? They cross on dry land. Israel does. The whole nation does. Pharaoh and everybody on his team chases them. And what does God do? Closes up the waters on top. They all drown. Israel moves forward, et cetera, et cetera. The rest is history. But here's the thing. They thought they could get away with it because they thought if they could just imitate that it would discourage and, and, and just destroy the influence of Moses and Aaron. Because these are the two men God chose. Hey, they picked them, picked Moses and Aaron to lead a whole nation, to change the whole course of history and their destiny. And if those two magicians could imitate what they were doing, in essence, Pharaoh's here, Moses and Aaron here, the two magicians there, and they're imitating them. And they could, if they could, if what they were trying to do was to destroy Moses's influence with Pharaoh to say, "Let my people go," and the enemy, and and people like this, that's exactly what they like to do, and that's exactly how the devil likes to work is to bring forth a counterfeit faith. We see this in our day and time right now. Counterfeit faith. Why? It feels like a war on religion, right? Terrorism, Islam, radical, ISIS, all these things. It's been happening for a long, long, long time. And now it's happening in our day and time. It's happening right here in their time. Deceptive people. Hard to deal with people. And the, and the instruction that Paul gives 
Timothy and he gives to us, he says, you need to, you need to know this. It's just the way it's going to be. I wish I could tell you, I, I, I wish I could tell you that, that life is a bed of roses without the thorns. I wish I could tell you that life is, is a peachy king garden. I wish I could tell you that, that, that it, it, it just says that it, life is easy. I wish I, I, I could say that. I'd like to hear that, wouldn't you? I wish I, I could read that says you'll never have any problems. I wish I could tell you you're never going to go through any hardships. But as you and I know, that's not the case. But what I do need somebody to tell me is when I go through it, is when I encounter it, when I'm faced with it, how do I deal with it? How do I still say, stay saved knowing I got stuff coming against me, right? How do I, excuse me, how do I still stay, stay intact and, and, and all these? And that's exactly what Paul is writing about. And he goes on. Let's look at what he tells what he tells Timothy here. You know, I read this once that uh, that the experts, when uh, when it comes to counterfeit money, they don't study the counterfeit money. The experts study the real money all the time. That's all they're looking at is real money, so that when a counterfeit money comes along, their eye is so trained to what the real is, the genuine is, that they can spot the counterfeit. You see, what the Satan wants us to do is pay all attention, all energy, all time on the counterfeit because he wants to scare us to death. He wants to wreak fear and anxiety. And why in in Matthew 5 and 6, Jesus says, don't worry. It was the Disney version that said, don't worry. And all the others, be happy. Akuna Matata. Right? Remember all that? Yeah, but Jesus said, don't worry about life, what you will eat, what you will wear, anything. Don't focus on all of that stuff. He said, I'm going to take care of you. My father will take care of you. What does the enemy do? Counterfeit. Strikes fear in your heart, right? Strikes, strikes anxiety in your soul. And so the experts study the real thing so that when counterfeit shows itself, it's a no-brainer. It's like, yeah, that's not real. That's fake. That's counterfeit. And as Christians, we're called to know what is real. That if you and I will focus our energy and our time and our devotion, and we will study and know what is real, that we will not get caught up with the counterfeit that always tries to steal, kill, and destroy. Okay, and that's what Paul goes on to elaborate. Let's look at this. You guys with me? Okay, verse 10, he says... Now I'm going to say, I'm going to shift gears. I've talked to you about what's difficult. I've talked to you about the unfaithful world. Now, Timothy, he says this, but you, Timothy, you certainly know what I teach. He, he's going in to describe the relationship that he has. He said, Timothy, there's counterfeit out there. There's a counterfeit faith that exists. 
there's a deceptive mindset that, and spirit that's working against you and people that's trying to cover up and masquerade and get you to fall for it. But he says, Timothy, here's what you do know. You know what is real. He said, you know what I teach. Look at it. You know what I teach. In other words, Timothy, you know what I say is real. Timothy, he says, you know how I live. In other words, Timothy, you know what I do. You know what I do. He says, Timothy, you know my purpose. In other words, he's saying, you know the direction my life is going. You know what the real looks like, sounds like, and acts like. He goes on, he says, you know my faith, Timothy. You know, you're aware, you're involved with my life to where you know my convictions. You don't doubt it, you know it. He's saying, look, Timothy, I'm giving you a picture, a reminder of what is genuine and what is real. He says, you know my patience. In other words, Timothy, you know my attitude and my outlook about life, about people. Don't worry and listen to what everybody else is telling you. You know what I'm telling you is real because you know my outlook. You know my attitude. And he goes on, he says, you know my love. You know that I really care. You know my endurance. You know that I am steadfast, Timothy. You know that I am not easily swerved from my purpose. I want to be like that. That if this red line was my purpose, that no matter how many things were trying to push me off, if this were a balance beam, this would be a good illustration right now had I practiced it really well. But on the floor, it's, it's a lot easier. And if this was my purpose, Paul's saying, Timothy, you know, that, you know my purpose and you know that I endure. In other words, I'm not going to be easily swerved. I don't care what hits me. I know at some point in time the devil thinks, oh, he got Paul, he got Paul. Look, look, oh, he got Paul. No, he didn't. I'm back on it again. I know this is so elementary, like way, but way beneath your education level. I know that, but it helps me, so I'll try to help you too. I'll bring you down to my level, and then we'll pray that God will bring us up to his level. Uh, and so he's saying, look, I'm not easily... Swerved. I'm steadfast, Timothy. You know, that's, what, that's what he's getting at. It's, that's what this, these, these words mean. You know my endurance. Look at verse 11. He says, he says, you know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, in Iconium, and Lystra. But the Lord rescued me or delivered me from all of them. What happened to Paul at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? Paul was slandered. What does slandered mean? Means to be, means to be talked about and say things that aren't true, to be accused. Boy, and that's hard to deal with, isn't it? When somebody comes up and behind your back and starts telling people a bunch of nonsense that just is not true, and then to, and then to have to have patience to let God sort it out. Meanwhile, you got arrows of accusations coming at you. This is what Paul's talking about. He said, Timothy, this, this kind of stuff happens. But you're, you're, you're a pastor, you're a leader, and you got people dependent on you. You got a congregation of thousands looking to watch what you do. And he says, I'm telling you, you got to remain 
steadfast like me. Church, you and I, we got people looking at us. We got this world with all eyes on Christians looking to see what we're going to do. And this world depends upon Christians, upon the church of Jesus Christ to get it right and to be a witness. Paul was ran out of town Antioch, Iconium, and Lister Paul saying, you know the persecution and suffering I endured back way then. I was ran out of town. Oh, and another time, he, in, in Acts 14, in, in Lister, he says, I was stoned. Take it outside the city. I was stoned. And the people left me for dead, thinking I was dead. This is the history behind what Paul's talking about. You know the persecution and the suffering that I endured. So people walked up got up and started heading back into town. And you know what the Bible says in Acts 14 that Paul did? Paul got up. And what, you know what, this, now this is a beast right here. You know what Paul did after he got stoned and they thought the joker was dead? He got up and he walked right back into the same town that just took him outside the town and stoned him. Now that is, a, a, I could say some words right there, but that is a bad mama jamma right there. Now, who in their right mind is going to get whooped and beat up for preaching the gospel and then get back up and go right back into the same town and say, I'm back? I mean, if there's ever a good movie story about that, that's a good one right there. There's not many written on that one. But that's what Paul's getting at Timothy. You're going to get knocked down, man. Church, you're going to get hammered in the right way. People are going to come against you. People are going to lie on you. People are going to tell all kinds of stories on you. And you're going to go through some hardship. But Timothy, look at my story. Paul's, Paul's writing. If there's anybody that could write about himself, it's Paul. He wrote 13 of the New Testament letters of the 27. He had some credibility and he said, look, this is what I endured, Timothy. And you can say tomorrow, I endured an hour and a half church service in 100 degree heat. What'd you do on Sunday morning? He said, this is what I, what I did. And now the final part right here. You guys ready? The last four verses, three verses, 14. Paul says, but... He said, I talked to you about the world. I've shared with you about me. He said, now this is really all about you. All this whole part of this part of the letter now is about you. It's not about the world. You're not going to be able to blame everything on, on people. And you're not going to be able to say, well, Paul, you were, just, you were just like a superhero, man. I mean, come on. You're not going to be able to say that. He said, now, Timothy, I'm giving you the goods. Now, this is what you've got to do. And, and it, this part of the Bible, of this story, is, is called Paul's charge to Timothy. Charge, to charge him with a mandate. In other words, if I walked up to you and, and, I, and I said, I charge you by the authority of God and by the strength of the Holy Spirit, and by the life of the Word of God, no matter what, you do this. Paul, in essence, is what he's saying. Again, where's Paul writing this from? From prison. I think Paul's words carry a whole lot of weight. 
I like to know that, that my words carry weight. I'm having trouble with that one with my two-year-old right now, my four-year-old right now. They don't, they, they don't think my words mean anything to them. So pray for me. I'm sorry, you're going to get family, parental stories from me for about the next 10 to 15 years because that's where I'm at in life right now. So my kids, bless their heart, their daddy just references them all the time. He said, Timothy's charge, this is your charge, and this is what he says, verse 14. You must remain faithful to what? To the things that you have been taught, for you know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you, and you have been taught... What has he been taught? It says the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. So Paul is saying, Timothy, all the stuff I've said, everything you've been reading about in my letter, I'm now giving you this charge. If you're going to remain faithful in this unfaithful world, then you have to remain faithful to what you've been taught. And what you've been taught is the Holy Scriptures, the, the Word of God. And, and friend, that's, as parents, that's what our aim is with our kids, is to teach them the truth. And so as they get older and get older and move on out and move on up, that they are faithful to what they have been taught, right? Just think over the centuries, if we would have been able to do that, our world would not be in the condition that, is in it, that it is today. However, it still gives us hope to believe God at His Word that if we will do this, it can change the outcome, it can change the course of destiny for so many people, including our own. And Paul says, remain faithful, loyal, committed, involved with what you've been taught, the Holy Scriptures. And he says right here, verse 16, almost done, bringing it home for the landing... All Scripture is inspired by God. What's the, what's the first word in verse 16? All. So in other words, he's saying everything in Scripture is God's ordained, authoritative word. It means God said it. It has something of value and significance, and it means everything. And then he goes on, he, he, he lays out five things about God's Word. Number one, he says this, God's Word is useful to teach us what is true. Teach us what is true. In other words, this is what you and I can take from this, is keep making God's Word our standard. I don't care what the school system does about God's Word being removed 50 years ago, that does not mean God's word is removed from your household. Amen? Mom, dad, grandparent, uncle, somebody who's got kids under their roof and you have responsibility for them, that does not mean the standard is stripped away from you. That's what the elite would like us to think and believe and hang on to, but that's not accurate, that's not true. God's word, keep making it your standard. All right, then he says number two, another thing. He says God's word says makes us realize what is wrong in our lives. How in the world do we know what is right and wrong? Right here. 
right here. In other words, what you and I can take away from this is this. Keep letting God's word be your guide. Do not, do not, do not give yourself, devote yourself to what anything or anybody else has to say about your life if it's not first right here from God's word. Okay? Make it your, keep making it your standard and keep letting it be your guide. Number three, he says this. God's word, it corrects us when we are wrong. So it shows us what's wrong, but then it also corrects us when we're wrong. In other words, you and I keep letting God's word discipline us. None of us are too old to get disciplined. It just changes how it's done. Right? Don't ever think you're above the discipline of God. Because the Bible tells us and teaches us this, God disciplines those whom he loves. So you and I need to take that to heart, that if we're being chastised, disciplined from God's word, meaning we read something about our life and what God has to say about it and we're not doing it the way he says it, then that's a, that, that means we're being disciplined, we're being corrected on what is wrong in our life and we need to welcome it into us. Right? Welcome it. Look at this. Uh, Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is alive, it's powerful, it's sharper than any than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, and exposes the innermost thoughts and desires of our life. That's God's word. Alive, it's powerful, and it's sharp. Sharp. Going all the way down into the root of our heart. But when God's word cuts us, it does not leave us open to bleed to death. When God's word cuts us, it cuts so clean, so pure, that it seals itself. You know, if you got something really sharp, a knife that's real sharp, and you just slice it across some paper, it doesn't leave a jagged edge. It's so smooth. It's God's, God's word. It's smooth when it hits. It's smooth when it cuts. Then number four, he says this. And God's word teaches us to do what is right. Teaches us to do what is right. In other words, you and I can take away from this is keep making God's word our inner motivation and our inner conviction. When you're all alone, when you're all by yourself and nobody else is around, what do you do? What motivates you and what's your conviction? It stems and, and it's rooted right here in God's word. Paul is getting to, across to Timothy in these difficult days. It's hard to bear, hard to deal with times. You're going to have all kinds of people to deal with. And you're going to have all kinds of things that come out of that. But one of the, the main things, Timothy, that you need to focus on, that your church needs to focus on, is that you remain faithful in what you have been taught, God's Word. And he says the last thing is God's Word. It prepares us and equips us for every good work that God has. Every good thing that God wants to do in your life, it'll never happen unless you allow yourself to be prepared and equipped by this right here. Now, I know this is like real deep and, you know, it's like you've got to have an honorary doctorate to understand this. 
But God never complicated this thing. People have. People have. God wants to be known. God wants to be understood. God wants to be followed. God wants to be loved. God wants to be fellowshiped with. God wants to be accepted. Why? Because God is love and he made us. And every good and perfect thing that God wants to do in every single one of our lives, it won't happen if we're not allowing the word of God to work in us. Amen? Let's close out. Matthew 7, you follow me right here on the screen because it's in the message version. Jesus is finishing up a sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 preaches really pretty much everything there is to know about living. And he says this in his final remarks. He said, these words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. He said, no, they, they're, they're bigger than that. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. And he says, if you'll work these words into your life, then you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, or tornado hit, but nothing moved that house because it was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies, and you don't work them into your life, Jesus said it, not me, you were like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. A storm rolled in, the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. Why? It wasn't built on the rock. And the ones whose lives are built on the rock, the rock of Christ Jesus, are those who hear his word and those who apply the word. Those who keep this as the standard, those who let this be their guide, those who allow this word to bring discipline and correction to their life and those who are prepared and equipped by this right here, this friend, this book this word not just a book but it is God's word to humanity it has the power the ability to destroy strongholds to break generational curses to change bad habits, to break fear, to instill wisdom, to show you and I how to live life that would honor God, glorify Jesus, and in turn raise up people underneath us, our children and our children's children and so on, to shape a generation, to shape a household, to shape a relationship, that will last, that will be faithful in an unfaithful time.